It is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Ray says 2% of the people that listen actually call in, less than 2%. That's what the Ray, the programmer, just texted me, Gary. Okay. So that's a pretty small number. That's a pretty small number. Uh, a percentage, anyway. Of course, we have no idea. How That's many two out of 100. Right, two out of 100. We don't have any idea how many people listen to this show. There's no ratings as such. It may, it may be, you know, three people listening, one of my dog or something, for all I know. Well, we know or, or there maybe 10,000 people listening. We know there are at least three, and two of them call regularly. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, yeah. So, um, anyway, we do appreciate if you're listening. Let me give you the numbers. You can reach us here at We Are Just Christians at 772 three four zero fifteen ninety seven seven two three four zero one five nine zero is the number here in port st Lucie, and you can reach us uh, live anytime if you want to call us or, or get in touch with us after the show is over or during the week and also during the show you can text us um, we have two text numbers one is mine mike schmitz that's seven seven two two six zero Six one two zero. Already gotten a couple of texts this morning. Seven seven two two six zero six one two zero. You can also text Gary Jones at seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. Similar number. Seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. So write those down, and we'd be glad to 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 uh, you know text back and forth even during the week. We'd be glad to hear from you. That's how you reach the show, basically. You can also write an email. Our email address is justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net. We'd love to hear from you uh, if you want to get in touch with us. So anyway, Gary, we do appreciate those who are listening and do call in and hope that we can. The purpose of this show is to introduce people or to and examine the concept of being just a Christian as opposed to being some kind of Christian, or just following your own ideas and thoughts and calling that spirituality. Well, even more precisely, Mike, we, we, we want to direct our thoughts into following Jesus's words as being a Christian, not our own or not. So oh, yes, that's else. the idea. That's the whole point of going back to Jesus to be just a Christian. The word Christian, ironically enough, Christianos in its forms is only used three times in the New Testament. It's always used of individual people, not objects, and it carries the idea, from what I've been able to determine, of possession. So Christ is the root word of Christian. The ianos part in Greek, or I-A-N part in English, carried with it the idea of possession. So it would be like more something along the line of Christ's men or Christ's people. So if you had slaves or servants or a household of people, they would be known as your people, Christ's house, Christ's people. That's the idea. So it's a term of possession. Therefore, kind of like what Paul says in Romans 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus right, Christ. Exactly. He's, he's a possession of Jesus Christ. So in order to be a Christian, it isn't just, you know, not being a Buddhist or not being a Muslim. See, I'd be as someone who has uh, come under the under the lordship of Jesus Christ, voluntarily submitted to him as his servant, giving their life to him. And that involves more than just what you think in your head or more than just being born in a particular country. 
it's something that you actually have to participate in yourself. And rather than be some kind of Christian, we're going to be just Christians like they were in the first century. You can't go to the Bible and find the idea of different kinds of Christians who are following different kinds of creeds in the New Testament, nor can you find the idea that it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere in your belief, you can be, I had a professor, I've told, told you about before, a professor uh, at Barry University say, you know, a good, a good Muslim and a good Buddhist can be a Christian, you know, as long as they're sincere. Well, what she meant was it didn't really matter what you believe, and so Christ was so wishy-washy that you could be a Buddhist or a Muslim, and as long as you were a nice person, he would accept you. Well, once, that, that's that's a you know what's we, the Greek word baloney. Right. We said we would give you scripture for that, and I want to read scripture. I want to read Galatians one, chapter one, verse six. Paul is saying to the Galatians, "I marvel that you are so that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which there is not another." But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, how clear is that, Mike? Yeah, that's right. not much fuzz on that, as nope. we used to say. Or Jesus says in John six forty six, except you believe that I am he, that is the Messiah, you shall die in your sins. sins. Right. Uh, there it is. He's, he claimed you can't. If you don't believe that he is who he says he is, then you'll die in your sins. No one comes to the I I believe in Jesus. He's a lovely person, but he just told you you're going to be lost if you don't believe he's the Messiah. Well, I couldn't go that far, they would say. Well, okay. No one comes to the Father but through me is what he said. So those are are fundamental things, and, and I know that doesn't fit our relativistic age, but we have to take Jesus for what he says. And, of course, there's good reason to think those things, and that's some of the questions you could ask. We'd be glad to talk with you about that, and that's why I invite, and don't do so as a bait, those who do not believe or have questions about the Bible, we'd we'd like to hear what you say about those things, and we'll try to give you uh, a reasonable answer and one from the Scriptures if it's at all possible. So give us a call, 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. So I know there's some people out there waiting for this passage, John 12:48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words as that which judges him, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Jesus's words. Right, right. So uh, it's important that we keep in mind what Jesus says about those kind of things. Well, we've been studying, for example, and we're studying the book of Genesis on Sunday morning in our adult Bible class, which begins at 10 o'clock, well, really about 10 after, because we have to finish up this show at 10 and then get out there and, you know, set up the Bible class. It takes a couple of minutes to do that, and I, I usually have to get a drink or something. But uh, in any event, about 10 after 10, we'll begin our Bible class. We've been studying the book of Genesis, and you're all invited. Well, the place where we are in the book now is the study story of Sodom and Gomorrah, for example. I think I made the point at the very end of the class last week. Maybe I made it. Maybe I made it in my head, Gary. I don't know. But people will say, well, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. But I don't. But don't give me all that Old Testament stuff. The problem is Jesus mentions Sodom and Gomorrah two or three times as if it's historical fact. Not only destruction that, of Sodom. Not only that, he mentioned Jonah. And right. And, and two or three. The, and fish. Noah. 
All these things that people say they don't believe. The flood, uh, Jonah and the whale, Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, we don't believe in those things. Just give me Jesus. I love Jesus. Well, Jesus is the one who says those are real events. And yet you say you believe what he says. Well, do you? That's the question. And if he doesn't know anything about, if he's wrong about all those things, he certainly isn't God's son. But anyway, we have a caller, Gary. Okay. Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Uh, uh, I was wondering about the incident at uh, Domo Pass, uh, where been 1800s or snowed in. And I believe we're talking about the Sierra Nevada mountain range. My question is, uh, were the Mormons uh, and... Uh, and just your stance on, uh, and there are polish about, uh, multiple mowers or whatever they call it. And, uh, and if, uh, uh, if you could answer that, uh, what Domo, what happened at Domo Pass, uh, they, the, uh, they were snowed in and I, and they had to survive. And, uh, as the people passed, as they died, uh, uh, they, they ate, uh, the corpses. And I was just, well, if you could expound on that a little bit, but my, my, I'm more interested in where these uh, uh, Mormons are uh, at, at this incident. And I'd like to listen to Raphael, Mike, if I'll be okay. Yes, I, I think so. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to find out about this uh, past that you're mentioning here, Jerry. I'm not sure about it, to tell you the truth. Um, I, I'm not sure about the... Um, I'm not sure about that incident and whether it's cannibalism. Uh, in uh, uh, it was, it's not as clear when you read the historical text. I've read some of it, Mike, but okay. I'm, I'm trying to bring it up now. But I, my computer's slow. Um, it was not as extensive, I think, as popularly believed. But there was some evidence of it among the survivors. Some of the party um, apparently made it through. Some of them didn't. Uh, many of them died. I don't remember a reference to them being Mormons, but it was back during the time of <clears throat> passage on the Oregon Trail. Yeah, I think so. It is the, the Donner Party. Is, yeah, is, is the, that, is that's the what's reference. coming to my mind. Is that what you're thinking yeah, of? Yeah, yeah. Um, this was in 1846 and 47. Um and I, I don't know if they are connected to the Mormon church or not. If so, that would be pretty early in Mormon history. They were also, that location is west of where the Mormons usually stopped in, uh, or, uh, yeah. in Utah. Now, there have been several incidents in human history. I think most notably, what is it, a flight in the Andes Mountains that went down and people were frozen in the snow and some of the survivors thawed out the meat and cooked it, human meat. Now, the question, th this is the kind of thing that I remember talking about in our in um, college, you know, ethics, philosophy and ethics classes. Where the professor well, is also was trying to show that there's no such thing as absolute morality. That situation ethics was what was true, whatever fits the situation is what you do. And so they present a case like you're starving to death and your friend has died. Can you eat him or not? As a case of uh, the Donner Party, the Donner, D-O-N-N-E-R. Yes, okay, that's, that's what I'm thinking, but I, I don't know much about it. I have to 
I have to confess, heard about it. Um, now, these things always present themselves a, uh, as problems. All right, I'll, I'll just be upfront about it. If, you're, if you have to kill someone to, else to survive, and it's your choice between killing them and, or dying, I think that a Christian should die. Okay, I think that they should die. Now, you can present all kind of moral quandaries about that, that maybe if you kill that person, one person, if you kill the one person, then all the rest could live, and there's all kind of moral quandaries. For one thing, none of those kind of scenarios prove that it's okay to kill people un- under certain circumstances. I don't believe any of those things show that that's the right thing to do, to kill people so you can survive. You know, there's this saying, Gary, it's the exception that proves the rule. Well, that that's one of those sayings that's completely misunderstood in its modern usage. You ever hear the saying, the proof is in the pudding? Well, actually, the, the pr- proof is in the eating. Of the, the, pudding. The, the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, is the saying. In other words, if the proof is in the pudding, it makes no sense. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. And the only way you can know if the pudding is any good is to eat it. Well, the same thing is true with this saying of the exception proves the rule. People use it to mean, well, this exception shows the rule is true. Exceptions don't show the rule is true. Okay. They, the word prove there doesn't mean prove in the sense of logically you know, show it to be true. The word prove there means to test it. The way you test a proposition is to find some exception to it to see if it's actually true. So the idea of uh, these moral quandaries of cannibalism and so forth, uh, testing the idea of absolute morals is often put forward. Now, they don't change the fact that just because you can come up with a quandary in a situation, not know the right thing to do, that somehow it's just you're justified to throw out all of it because you don't really know what to do in one situation or it may be a difficult situation. There's always an answer to the situation. Um, well, the only, the only thing I would say about whether or not taking another life is justified as opposed to your own is in the case of criminal activity. If someone is trying to murder you uh, and there is reason to believe that, I'd, I would stand on the side that it's it's not wrong to take that. No, because, and, the, and the well, the logical justification is God's the one that gave you life and therefore only God has the right to take it, as it were, under the right circumstances. No other person has the right to take that life unless it's been uh, allowed by God, which in the case of like capital punishment is permitted. But for somebody else to take your life is not permitted, and you have every right to stop them from doing so. But that's not the same. We're not talking about self-defense if, if, if you decide you're, you're going to kill one of the members of – murdering someone so that you can eat their flesh to survive, then yes. Yeah, you're trapped on a mountain trail, and so the only way you have to uh, survive is to decide, you know, flip coins yeah. and decide which one of you you're going to kill. Now, uh, in the case of the Donner Party, as far as history goes, uh, the people that were eaten were already dead. This was – they were snowed in. Basically, they were frozen and – then they utilized the flesh to survive. That was basically, I think, what you'll find uh, when you read the historical reports. That's what I remember now. It's coming back to me a little bit now that I realize um, 
And there, kind of there took have a minute been, for me to remember been it. instances of airplane crashes where the, yes. the mountains were recently in the in the 60s, I think, or yeah. 70s, there was one in, in in South America. Now, here's the difference there. For one thing, they were eating they were eating a dead person. Is cannibalism wrong? Well, it depends on how you once again everything how you define cannibalism. The idea of uh, different tribes of people over the year over the centuries, who for military and social reasons go and capture their enemies and then take part of their flesh and take their bodies back and eat them. Uh, that's wrong. That's, that's, uh, that's simply not right because it's a religious practice. And Certainly killing them to do that is, is wrong. And there's, uh, there's even instances, instances that have been recorded World War II, particularly in the Pacific War, where Japanese officers pulled American prisoners of war out, shot them, and ate their livers. Right, as that, a religious thing. As a religious thing. Now that as is, a military thing. That's that's simply murder. The cannibalism part of it is only is only part. Of it. There, uh, I I don't think obviously it's unpleasant, but if a person is already dead and frozen like they were with these airline things, and you eat part of their flesh to survive, uh, you would feel bad about that. But I don't think you've committed a sin personally. I don't think that's wrong. I don't. Uh, now I, now I, if you kill if you kill them to if you kill them to do it. That's a whole different matter. You're going to take. But you're going to have to. That's murder. That's murder. Now you have to take that up and with a higher authority, as it were, to justify murder in this case. And, and one of the reasons why I say criminal activity is different from this kind of thing that we're discussing is I just point everybody to Exodus 22 and verse two. If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. Yeah, but we're not talking about self-defense right. here. We're not talking about self-defense here. We're talking about something else. That's a different kind of thing. Yeah, I want to make. I just want to make that clear. So I, I don't know if there's any connection. I don't believe that the, the Donner Party was connected to Mormonism. If it was, and somebody can correct me on that, that I'll stand to be corrected. But uh, and I don't have any problem with someone if a person is already dead eating their flesh to survive. Um, I don't have. I, I don't have a problem with that. It's unpleasant, obviously. But I don't think it's a it is a egregious moral wrong, whereas just plain cannibalism, eating someone because of some religious or other purpose, now is is wrong because it involves murder and so forth. Now some of the later things I've read, Mike, even the American Indians in the Southwest raided their enemies, enslaved them, and some of them they killed and ate. Yes, we know that they did. We know uh, there's cannibalism among them. So the American I, Indians, we've got evidence of that we've seen a lot of other places you know when you go out to raid somebody and enslave them and kill them purposely this is this is murder and that's that's not excusable in any way right so so there there have always been these dilemmas print presented by moral relativists um some of the most famous ones in modern times are in joseph fletcher's book in the early 70s or late 60s, I believe, called Situation Ethics. As I mentioned before, there, there's a lot of misunderstanding about this term Situation Ethics. Uh, popularly, people think, oh, well, uh, something is right or wrong depending on the situation. Well, that's not true altogether. It's partially too, true, but that's not what Joseph Fletcher was saying in the book Situation Ethics that popularized that term. Yes, of course, sometimes the rightness or wrongness of an action is determined by the situation. Having sex with someone can be right or wrong, depending on the marital state that they're in and you're in, right? 
Right. So the situation changes, whether it's moral or immoral for you to do something. I don't think anyone biblically argues that that's not true. And certain situations can change something. But um, what he was saying is that if you can show that love is being practiced, love makes everything right. So his his point was that that as a Christian ethicist, Joseph Fletcher's point was when he popularized the term situation ethics is that the only real morality, the only real determining factor is, is it loving? Now, of course, we've heard we've walked down this road now for 50 years. It's not working out too well for us because everybody gets to define what they think is loving on their own. People think it's loving to uh, fondle little children. You know, I've had personally had child molesters can tell me that they love the little children that they were fondling and and sexually uh, or, or trying to sexually arouse. Uh, they were just loving the children and they meant it. Michael Jackson said he loved children. I mean, so it, it, does, does love fix everything? Well, obviously it doesn't. And I know that love is love is love, according to the modern mantra. And you can love your chandelier. But those those ideas are incorrect. I know that's not very situational, is it, Gary? But that's not the, the Bible teaches that, yes, the circumstances do change the morality of certain things. But morality there in the Bible term is defined as based on the absolutes that we find in God's word, those absolute truths. He gives the example in his book, um, a couple of examples. One of them, I've, I'm sure I've mentioned this on the radio before, so I'm sorry if, if I'm boring you, but... He he mentions the case of a woman, an Eng, a woman who was uh, taken prisoner by the Nazis or captured by the Nazis. I believe she was an English woman. Somehow she was a nurse or something, and I don't know what happened, but she was captured by the Nazis, put in a concentration camp during the war. And the only way that you could get out of those concentration camps was either to be dead or pregnant. And so she seduced this Roman. Uh, this German guard named Franz, I think his name was, she seduced him. They had sex. Uh, she got pregnant, and the and the Germans released her and sent her back to England. And so she named her child Franz because, after all, this guard, by having sex with her, saved her life. So Joseph Fletcher presents this as a case where love love for her family made her actions right. I dispute that. I say that what she did was wrong. It was adultery. The circumstances turned out that it had a good ending, but it could have easily had a bad ending and wouldn't necessarily have a good ending there. And uh, I believe that she needed to confess her wrong and own up to that wrong. He committed wrong by doing that. That's what the Bible would say. Now, I know that our sympathies are with this person because uh, something turned out bad. And, and, and it's tr evil can put us in a situation, Gary, where the choices we have before us are both very difficult choices. I don't believe anybody's ever forced to do wrong, per se. But if they are, that's only the power of evil. That isn't because there's no real choice to do wrong. See, that the, the whole debate that people have with you about this is based on the idea back in the back of their mind. Their presupposition is that there is such a thing as right or wrong. And they want to use examples to show you that they can put you in, on the horns of a dilemma. You know what I'm saying? But their whole presupposition is really proving the point that I'm trying to make, that there is such a thing as right or wrong, and they know it. 
They're just trying to think of some exceptional case here. Because if it really doesn't matter, what does it matter what she does in, in, with the guard or anybody else? What, why should it matter to her husband? The fact that it mattered to her husband or didn't matter. What is that? That, proved, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't make it right or wrong. And so this is the kind of dilemma you can be put in. And that's the thing this cannibalism issue does. We're so horrified by the idea of cannibalism that uh, – it, 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 they try to blur our moral sensibilities with that rather and, and prove that, well, it's OK, because when people get in extreme situations, they do just about anything. Well, look, you can show me examples where in, in extreme circumstances, people have done many wrong things. N- notice uh, John texted in this interesting passage when God, in the book of Deuteronomy is predicting. What? one of the possible futures of the children of Israel. That if they obey him, he would bless them and give them all these all these good things in the land. Mm-hmm. If they disobey him, he would curse them and they would be driven from the land. One of the things he says to them in Deuteronomy 28, 53, is you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you, in the siege in the desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. The sensitive and refined man will, among you be very hostile toward his brother and so forth. So he's predicting there's a coming a future time when the condition that the Jews will find themselves in because of their sin is so desperate that they're going to eat, eat their children. And we see examples of this in the book of Second Kings, mm-hmm. of them eating their own children, debating about whose son they're going to kill today and whose son they're going to kill tomorrow and eat, you see. It was easier to kill children than adults back then, obviously. They could eat more, well, more. people have been doing that for years. Right, and so they decide. So what this is is not a case where God is justifying cannibalism or approving of it. He's telling them this is what is going to happen because you're going to be so wicked that you're going to find yourself in this terrible dilemma of dying or eating your children. Well, what should you do? What do you think they should do, Gary, if it's a choice between – Killing your child, eating them, or dying. What should they do? Well, I keep going back to this I idea think they should that die. Murder, murder is murder no matter what the reason. Right. Right. There's, there's justifiable homicide, but, but there's murder, also murder. Murder That's different. is murder no matter what right. your justification for it right. may be. Right. Uh, basically, and, and well, your supposed justification. You're right. And self-defense is not murder right. by definition. Maybe homicide, but it isn't murder. Murder. Right. And I, that's what I'm trying. So you may have you in your own mind can come up with a justification. Doesn't make it a good thing. So anyway, yes, God, the cannibalism is mentioned in the Bible. It it is condemned. That that's one reason somebody texted in about the fact that uh, the Jews took Jesus. Well, I think Jesus said what he did for shock value, that you can have to eat his flesh and drink his blood to be his. Well, I think he said Josephus, it was shock value. Yeah, I think Josephus reports the same thing in the Roman siege of Jerusalem. Yes, in 70 AD. There, was con- there. That's Same the thing. That, the, the, there's a, that's the thing about sieges. They block off the city. People starved, and it was a slow, long process. And people become very desperate. And I think it even can change their own mental state of mind, of course, and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, but that doesn't mean it's right to do that. We think if we get put in a tight spot, we're allowed to do what we want to. You know, when you consider even the abortion debate that we are having in our country for the last well, a long, longer than 50 years. People like like abortion. Abortion became an issue in 1973. 
when I was a young boy, I remember taught people talking about abortion. It was been an issue for a long time. It's been an issue in human history since the times of the Romans and before. The methods have changed. But in any event, one of, one of the things that happens in that debate is people come up with these either hypothetical or somewhat real scenarios of a person being put in a difficult circumstance, a young girl being raped and becoming pregnant. And, and the attempt there is then made to to justify murder on the basis of the difficulty of the circumstance that the person finds themselves in. Now, when you when you look at those situations, most of the time, not always, like a plane crash doesn't fit this, but most of the time, sin has been committed by somebody, not always the person who is found with the, with the, being to be pregnant, but sometimes it is. But usually you find evil behind some of this kind of thing. But the fact that you can put yourself or get put in a situation that makes the choice very difficult, there isn't a good choice really either way, doesn't mean that, that there's no good choice to be made. So the dilemma is, well, here's a girl. She has to carry the uh, her rapist's child to to full term and deliver a baby and give it up. And this is a horrible, horrible experience for her. And it can be, probably is, Almost all the time, red cases where it isn't, where these mothers have these children, take care of them the rest of their life, and they love them, and their, their life turns out very differently. So don't, it doesn't prove the fact that it's a difficult situation. certainly doesn't prove that because you're in a difficult situation, you get to kill your child. And, and yet that's the way it's always presented. So be careful when people are trying to put you on the horns of some dilemma like that, that seems like there's no way out. There is a way out. There may not be an easy way out. There may not be a pleasant way out. But there's a way, a way that you can live when you find yourself in difficult circumstances so that you don't have to sin against God and so forth. And what you usually find then is that the young woman who, who uh, is convinced in that situation to kill her child, she doesn't fare much better one way or the other. She still carries the same scar of being of being raped, which is a deep, deep emotional scar that that take that's a that's a hard thing for a person to process to be violated like that in the most people act like sex is the same as every other act. It isn't the same. It's very different, it's different than every other act. Different. Okay. Because it goes to the core of our being. That's why the Bible is so strict about sexual relations, because sex, even involuntary sex like that, goes to the core of a human being's soul and it alters them and damages them, if not proper. And so she has to deal with this and then the, the process over almost a year of carrying this child and then perhaps giving it away, which would become uh, put her in a, another dilemma. She's cared a child. Now she has to give it away. She doesn't want to keep it, but she does want to keep it. So I, I can certainly understand the dilemma that a person gets put in like that. And in, in the end, I think that pro, I'm going to say that it's still better to do the right thing, to not sin yourself. You've been sinned against. Don't, don't, don't. sin yourself. Two, two wrongs don't make no, right. No, they will never equal the right. And and, the, and then as if uh, the person has faith in God, they will see that they these situations can be made better. They can do better. Things can improve. They can find some meaning and understanding to the things that happen. And there are plenty, although they're often suppressed by the media. 
plenty of stories of people that are, have benefited society greatly and been a blessing even to their parents who are who were the product of rape or incest, things like that. So th- there is a sin oftentimes lurking behind all these things. Don't add to that problem. Okay. One, one more thought about uh, Jerry's question. Uh, I'm going to say this. Uh, Jerry, if you want to know more about it, look up the Donner Party, D-O-N-N-E-R Party. Uh, there is a Wikipedia article about it. I've scanned this Wikipedia article and went through it. Not every line of it, but what I see of it is very consistent with other things I've read in historical okay. documents. Well, we all know it, Wikipedia is the final authority of all truth. Right, right. Even if, especially if you but, look up recession, it's but, the final authority of all truth. But basically, uh, it points out that no one was murdered over this. They were, they basically ate people that died of exposure, okay, and they tried to help each other. They tried to do the best they could. So if you want to know more about it, that's probably a pretty good article. I haven't read every word of it, but I've scanned it and give you a pretty good background on it. That's all i got to say. I think probably that's the best answer we can give right now, Mike. Yes. Somebody texted in that birth is a dangerous thing, especially for minorities in America. It's always been a dangerous thing, but I think uh, – from one person's perspective, abortion is an extremely dangerous, dangerous. thing, uh, but uh, they don't get more, proper more pre- than just dangerous. Well, it's fatal, but they don't get proper prenatal care. Once again, prenatal care is available in the United States of America. Do people take advantage of it? No. Okay. Dr- treatment for drug and alcohol abuse. Lots of other things are available. Do people take? No, they don't. But that's not the fault of the of the system itself. So if we ban abortion, we need to take care of the woman and child through their pregnancy. And once again, what you will find is that has been done and is being done there. Gary, there are literally thousands of help centers all across the United States set up by churches and other religious nonprofits to help young women choose life and to take care of them through the pregnancy and through the early years of the child's development. There are thousands of these centers set up already, and yet you have these Christians saying, oh, well, now that we've banned abortion, we need to make sure we do the other part. They've already been doing it. And yet we have people like Elizabeth Warren and a lot of other progressive liberals who are trying to shut these places down as quickly as they can. They have made a campaign of shutting down all of these pregnancy crisis centers across the United States, while at the same time they're saying that Christians don't care about the unborn. That, that's simply demonic. I don't know what other word I can say. It's demonic. And that woman is demonic in the way that she approaches people trying to take care of babies and young women. And they're the, even, the lie she tells is amazing. They're even beginning to physically attack some of them in terms of graffiti. Thousands of cases of that that haven't even begun to be dealt with by our Justice Department. Do I sound angry? Oh, I'm sorry if I do. I am angry about it. It's it's disgusting. If you want to oppose abortion, okay, then uh, do so. But do so at least honorably. Uh, And I'm not talking about the text that we got. I'm talking about in a general way in our society. And so uh, they can – there's a way to take care of these problems. There's a way for these things to work out. I personally, I went to college with a a woman named Dana who who lives out west, and she, of her own will over the last 
20 some years. I, I couldn't even tell you how many babies that she has uh, helped put up for adoption from women who were who were uh, seeking abortions that she has dealt with. Uh, it's called Sacred Selections is her agency. Hundreds and hundreds that she's doing almost by herself. I know another man, David Tant, a minister, a preacher, a friend of my colleague. He's older than me. but yeah, Trying to find homes for these. He, he's done this for 60 or 70 years. Dozens and dozens and dozens of girls. He's helped, rather than abort their child, for these people to find people who will pay for their prenatal care, pay for the hospital, pay for them to get, get set up to do this, and they will take the baby into a Christian home, and they will love this child. And I've seen the people go through this process, a heartbroken young girl contemplating an abortion who decides not to do the wrong thing. And it may take 20 or 30 years, but I've seen the outcome on the other side of this that now that she's a grown woman and maybe this baby that she sh would have killed is now grown herself or himself a in a Christian home. They have some peace about this problem that they had. They have some understanding now. God's solutions to things don't work out overnight or make us feel better the next day oftentimes. But because they, had, they wanted to do the right thing, they had someone encouraging them in a crisis time in their life to go the right way, Life turned out very differently for them. And then you have people like Elizabeth Warren and uh, the other members of the squad uh, trying to shut all this down and vilify these Christians for trying to do this kind of work. Or you have other people like Al Mohler and all these other uh, wishy-washy preachers who are acting like Christians haven't done anything except oppose abortion. Uh, that That's just simply not true, Gary. You, you know, I'm yeah. preaching to the choir here. It's simply not true. And I'm I'm all for debating topics. I'm all for looking at at them. But you have to at least be honest about what you're saying. And unfortunately today, on too many times, there's just not any kind of honesty on dealing with the opposition. And abortion is a good case in that. And I'm sorry, I got well, it's not the only, it's not the only subject, but it's 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 a great. This example. is a grave, a, a big problem. And you know, it's a funny thing about it. People, somebody, our text mentioned minorities. You know, who gets hurt worse by by abortion? Minorities. Yeah. I forgot they. I forgot read the number the other day, like eight or twelve million black babies been aborted in the last you know forty years, fifty years, maybe more than that. That's a lot of black children have been killed maybe more and yet they want to say that some white preacher like me is anti-minority because i'm against abortion i'm against black people are you kidding me you know i don't know what world or universe they live in they're killing the black children and they put these these abortion centers in minority neighborhoods to get rid of the black children and yet someone like me is the racist who wants to stop all that from taking place it's incredible the, the kind of deception that goes on in our society it's interesting mike that uh if the current population of the U.S. is 360 million, I think it's pretty close. It may be a little higher than that now. That 80 million is almost a quarter of our population. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's 22% of our population. It's an, it's an incredible number of people that have been put to death uh, by abortion. And, and so many of them, minorities. Yes, I understand that it's difficult to raise a child in poverty. But you can raise a child in poverty, 
and the truth is God doesn't care much about poverty all that much. It isn't a, it isn't a deal breaker for life or death. Since when do we have this idea that it's better to be dead than to be poor? What kind of country is that? It's better to be dead than to be poor. I've known so many poor people in my life. My families growing up, they, they were considered poor people. My, you know, my grandparents were very poor, and uh, you know, they were still honorable, good people who lived a good life. Being poor didn't make them evil. But today the idea is, well, if you're poor, you know, it's okay for you to be a criminal or violent or a drug user because after, or sexually immoral. After all, you're poor. Well, so heard, you can't heard, help it. Yeah, this I, just really is a egregious uh, morality. I was watching Fox News the other day, and maybe I shouldn't be plugging them by name, but I was watching a program there, and they had uh, a black man on. He was uh, responsible for work in one of the large cities, and he was telling the commentator that, you know, everybody says that uh, poverty causes crime. He said, and he said this, and I quote, as close as I can quote him, he says, you know, I don't think that's true. I think crime causes poverty. Poverty, poverty yes. And, and Cr Criminals cause crime. Criminals cause yeah, crime. Yeah, not, not poverty. Right. Because I've known lots say, of poor people, and they're not criminals. Okay? Right. But basically, he was saying, I don't think that's really true. And I said, you know, that's one of the first times I've heard that out on, out on the air. It, it's, it's, um, it's a culture of violence. And, and envy that sets all this up. You got something I wanted, and so I'm going to take it. Or I'm going to do it. I have a right to do whatever I want. The people preaching this, this, this morality of you get to choose to do whatever you want to do, and you should maximize your self-satisfaction by doing whatever you want. They're the ones that are responsible in the long run for the crime that we have and the other problems that people have instead of teaching people self-respect. You know, uh, that's the problem. You don't have to act a certain way just because you're poor. Well, there's and there's something that we're missing here. Define poor. I would go back to just define what poor is. Well, we, we've put God out of our life. And the fact that God is in your life implies something that you don't often think about directly, but it's there, and it's there as a governing thought. If God is in your life, there is coming a day of judgment where these things that we do here on this earth are going to be rewarded, whether they're good or bad. And we've lost that. Right. Once that judgment goes away, there's no reason that you can't, well, there's no reason to do anything, but do exactly what you want to do and maximize your pleasure here on this earth. Because when you die, you like Rover, you're dead all over. And right. basically there's no judgment, but that's not the case for the Christian. It's not the case for the non-Christian either, in my view, but I can't force that on everybody. You know, it's interesting. I, I have a sermon I did on this, on some ta the tangent on the side of this here, oh, maybe a year and a half or two ago about uh, our justice system and the Bible. Maybe it, was, maybe it was called the Bible and the Constitution, something like that. There's a couple, two parts or three parts to it. You can look it up on our website, wearejustchristians.com. One of the interesting passages that I've used in that sermon, it surprises people. Given our common no notion today that since you're poor, it's okay if you commit crime and it's okay if we show partiality to you because since you're poor, you should get a break on everything and, and we shouldn't really expect very much of you. God says, 
in Deuteronomy 19 in the old law, verse 15. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. So he says you cannot show injustice in dealing with people, both, I think he's talking about the system of right. justice and individually. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. We say today that if you're poor, you must be a good person, because the rich are bad. You know, Obviously, if you're rich, you're evil, and if you're poor, you're good. They have this cra- Now, in ancient times, it was kind of the opposite of that, that if you were rich, you were good, and if you were poor, you're bad. But God says here, do not show partiality or in, uh, in, in your judgment of these things. So a man comes into the courtroom, accused of a crime, He's to be judged the same as if he was rich, and the rich is to be judged the same as he was poor. This is ingrained in Bible justice. And, and basically, and today we view the we do it opposite. We think if he's poor, he can do whatever he wants. It's it's okay if he kills his children if he's poor. And I think, Mike, that it was ingrained in our forefathers when they wrote our founding documents, when they said all men are created equal. Basically, I would have been a little more pleased if they had added three words: all men are created equal before the law. Well, of course, that's what they were talking about. And that's about. exactly what they were talking about yeah, is just, what you were talking about there from Deuteronomy. They understood that. They made maybe made an erroneous assumption that everybody else understood that, too, or that that understanding would continue through time. Well, it, it's obvious everybody isn't equal in some outright way. But uh, Jesus, and somebody mentioned Jesus saying you have the poor with you always. Well, you can't get rid of poverty 100%, but there are systems like free market capitalism that eliminate poverty almost completely in places where it's tried. The, the, here, you know what I read, Gary, and this is the interesting thing. This is why I mentioned envy. In studying socio, sociology and economics, like we're talking about a little bit about poorness, it isn't in a country... One of the predictors of violence in a country is income inequality, at least so that's what some people say. I don't know if that's true or not. In other words, if there's a big gap between the rich and the poor, then there's more violence in society. Now, it makes a little sense to me because human nature says, if you got more than me, I'm going to take my club and beat you over the head with it to get what I want from you. And this is what we do. Sometimes we try to do it with government to beat somebody over the head and take their stuff. But if you don't have a system of morality based on the Bible ethics, like a verse I just read, that will certainly be the case. You get a majority of people who are stronger, they will take money, take stuff from other people because of envy is the problem. Well, part so of, human know, nature explains that problem of violence and in, in, income inequality. Well, part of that comes from the fact that we often – Statistics can prove a lot of things or disprove a lot of things, but the problem with statistics is we generally leave out some of the controlling factors. Uh, When you talk about that, our our nation was prosperous because it had a large middle class. And so we had an income in the middle between the rich and between the poor. And the other important part of that that's left out of that statistic is the fact that there was hope in this country of moving from one class well, to another. But see, Gary. But uh, when you go to India and you lose that, you, you see a lot. Of, you see a lot, a lot of, of different problems. And, and I, I guess what I, the point that really the real the problem is, 
people say, well, we lost the middle class. You know what happened to the middle class? Do you know what happened to the middle class the last 30 years? They all moved into the upper class. That's a fact. They moved into the upper classes. So people were actually changing classes upward. But they they still thought they were poor. Okay, that's the point about Americans that I see. People who have so much that they can't even use it still think they're poor and they right. act like they are being trodden upon and uh, in, in, in they live a, a, a life better than the kings of England ever lived. Well, I think that's the problem. Well, I think there may be a few people that way, but the majority of people that begin to think that way are incited to think that way by what they're told. Well, I know that it's yeah, all it's a social problem, it, it, but the point I'm making is that that's, uh, that's what one group of people have been talking about for the last 30 years is how bad things are and how more you how much more you need. Well, and no, we and to a, take it away from somebody else. So yeah. why are they surprised when there's violence? Yes. Why are they surprised when then there's violence? Because that's an incitement to violence is what it is. And and the. Basically, the ruling class has been doing that. You've got more than me, so I'm going to take it away from you. And they use that. And so this is a problem. Christians cannot get caught up in this kind of envy, whether it's individual, personal envy, or class envy, whatever it may be. Christians must go go, because you cannot be unjust or impartial in your justice the way you deal with people to rich or poor. So I would, you know, this goes back onto the race thing somewhat, too. But I'm going to hold a young man who lives in, in, the, in uh, the ghetto, in the urban area. He has to be held to the same standard of morality sexually and every other economically, every other way as any other little rich white kid from some spoiled neighborhood around here. They have to be held to the same standard or else you can never lift up the man who's in the poor position. He can never be lifted up. He'll just be degraded all the time. So it's it's not helpful to make excuses for people as to why they're immoral and why they don't do what they ought to do, whether they're rich or poor. It doesn't lift anybody up. It only degrades people. And so it's a kind of bigotry. It's a kind of the bigotry is I think George Bush coined the phrase the soft bigotry of low ex, low expectations. And that's that's what we have in, uh, inculcated in much of our society today. And it certainly isn't taught by the Bible to have sympathy in this way that we excuse error. How we got from cannibalism to the soft bigotry of low expectations, Gary, I have no idea. But we did. James 3.14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. I think you used that word. And that's yeah, that's what I'm talking. It's exactly the right word. Now, uh, John texted in, well, you can't, according to Matthew 26, you can't get rid of poverty. That, that's probably true in a base. What Jesus' point there was, Judas wasn't interested in the poor. He wanted to keep the money for himself because he was a thief. We find out in the Bible, he just used the poor as his excuse. If you want to do good to the poor, Jesus is saying, you can do good to the poor anytime you want to. You don't have to use this excuse. If 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 these progressives want to help uh, young pregnant mothers and their babies, they can do that anytime they want to. But they don't want to. They only want to use it when it benefits them politically. And so 
that that's the problem. You, you're going to have poor with you're always going to have poor people. Because we define poor based on who we think is rich. It's one of my definitions. You, you know what a, a rich person is, Gary? There's an easy definition for this. I've you know the yours. definition. You've heard I've, mine. I've heard okay, yours. my definition you've heard, which is anybody that's got one dollar more than me is rich. It works for everybody. It's a beautiful definition. Anybody that's got one dollar more than me is rich. And well, that's how we use the word today for poor and rich in I, society. I just keep going back to James 3 again, verse 16, right after what I read. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Yeah. So you'll always have the poor. And the truth is we ought to help the poor. Sometimes, but I'll ask one of my other famous questions. Define help. What does help the poor? Does giving money to the poor help them? Oh, sometimes, you know. I've told people the only thing that's going to save me in Judy economically is an infusion of cash I don't have to pay back. You know, I know that sometimes that's what it takes. But generally speaking, that isn't really the help that the poor need. Okay, what they need is the same thing as the rich do. They need the gospel, and they need to begin to live by the gospel, and they need to learn to be content with the things that they have. Not satisfied that you can't do better, but content in what it is. But we, we're, we aren't there, and it's another whole big subject. Well, we've got a few minutes left. Let me give the numbers again real quick. If you want to make a quick phone call, we certainly have time for one quick question, 772-340-1590. Seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety is the number to reach us here on We Are Just Christians. Uh, so Gary, anyway, you want to sum any of this up I, and I, go to the direction for a minute? Le- I want to leave our listeners with these words. I want to leave you with James three, beginning in verse thirteen. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if there are but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This, is, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of the righteous is sown in peace by those who make peace. I would like to leave everyone with the thoughts. That's John 3, verse 14 through 18. That's how Christians ought to be living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot to that. If we went, if you want to go to James, uh, we don't have time to read it because we're going to have to stop here. But in James, the fifth chapter, James warns the rich that they need to be careful about who they oppress because God is looking. And he's, yes. he's looking at how they treat those who are poor. And they've held back the wages of the laborers who mowed your field by fraud. And those rate wages cry out, and God will, God will bring you to judgment. Well, that goes into without partiality, without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Right. When, when we're fair with everybody and not partial and gentle and willing to yield and have mercy. The, what does that mercy mean? It means come to the aid of that mercy and good fruits. Um, if we understood and, and really went and analyzed what the scripture says in these cases, you know, we would live good lives. Uh, that, yes, we would. And, and basically this would be, this life on earth, if everyone could do this, 
would become the utopia that all of these liberals seek. Somewhat, but yes, they, right. But they just don't understand it. Well, I appreciate uh, all the texts and calls we got today. Our show, show time is up to now, but we want to invite you to take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Also want to invite you to come and be with us this morning at 10 o'clock and 11 and 7.30 on Wednesday night at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We'd love to have you. We're not going to ask you for money or embarrass you in any way. Come and see, and you'll find yourself among Christians who love the Lord. Thank you very much, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.